Greetings and welcome to Jesse I Interviews, recorded and produced on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, here in what is now known as Melbourne, Australia. This episode is an interesting one, especially for Australians, as it features an interview with an Australian man, Dennis Sindri, who was not only present in Jamaica for the birth of ska music, but actively involved in it. It's a fascinating story, which I probably wouldn't have even known about if it wasn't for the work of Melbourne DJ and fellow PBS FM announcer Mohair Slim, a.k.a. Lloyd Dewar. In 2008, he helped organise a reunion of the Caribs, a group of Australian musicians who ended up in Jamaica in the late 50s, playing on the hotel circuit and working as a studio band for some of the earliest local Jamaican recordings. I'll let Dennis himself tell the story properly, though. If you're new to the podcast, please understand that I'm presenting all interviews here completely unedited, the idea being to capture the moment, even down to including the more casual talking before and after the official part of each interview. If I recall correctly, this interview wasn't actually intended for broadcast at all, and it wasn't recorded professionally. I think I was interviewing him for a newspaper article, and I was simply recording the conversation on a speakerphone. I think it's definitely worth the listen, though. It's a, it's a unique piece of Jamaican and Australian music history. So here we go. Jesse I interviews Dennis Sindri in June 2008. Okay, can you still hear me? Yep, sure. All right, fantastic. Well, thanks very much for taking the time, Dennis. Like I said, I know you must be tired after the flight, but <clears throat> I appreciate it. Um, yeah, you always get a second win when you're, you know. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so it's, it's a really amazing story, um, the Caribs, you know, a bunch of Aussie blokes um, making music in Jamaica. Um, I guess the best place to start is the beginning. Like, how did this happen? How did you guys all end up in Jamaica? Well, what happened was... Um there's a guy named Max Wildman who lived in Melbourne, and he had managed bands before, and he'd actually taken a band on tour of um, the, what the Far East Circuit, like Salon, uh, India, and all that sort of stuff. Right. And he decided to set up a, a band in Surface Paradise. He took over a nightclub in Surface Paradise called The Corroboree. Okay. So he came down to Melbourne, and he was looking for a band. At that time, I was very friendly with uh, Peter Stutter. In fact, we shared a house together. Peter Stutter was a piano player from Adelaide. Right. And uh, Lowell Morris, of course, uh, I've known over the years for many, many years from Dixieland days, you know. And so um, he came down and he, he booked uh, Peter to play piano and uh, he couldn't find a bass player. So uh, Peter said, oh, well, you know, uh, Dennis plays bass, which I didn't at the time. <laughs> right? So um, what I did was uh, I worked at the Hotel Cecil in those days, a little trio up there. So I'd go in every night early and uh, practice on the bass for about a month before I moved to Service Paradise. Right. I, but I told him, I said, you know, I'm, I'm really a guitar player, but I play a little bit of bass, you know? Yep. So we went up there and we started the band, and the, that band was called The Caribs. Right. And the, the star of that band was a, a Haitian conga drummer named Albert Laguerre, who, who had come to Australia with the Catherine Dunham dance troupe okay. and married an Australian girl on the stage. So that was the cars we had there, and while we were there, Max Wilden, the leader, had been through um, uh, on a tour through the Caribbean and had made contacts, and they had a club in Jamaica called the Glass Bucket Club, mm. which had been a very famous club, mm. but was on, uh, on its last legs. Right. So they wanted to try and revive it, and so they called Max and offered him the job as the manager of the club. And he said, well, I'll come, but only if I can bring three of my musicians with me. So they hummed and hard for a little while, and finally they said okay. 
and that's how we got to go to Jamaica, right? Right. Actually, when we landed in Jamaica, we didn't even know what we were getting paid or anything. It was a it was a bit of a gamble, but it worked out okay. Yeah. So, so the uh, the guy from the Caribbean actually stayed, and the guys from Australia went to the Caribbean. Well, no, no, Albert didn't stay. Um, we we went to the Caribbean, right? And yep. Albert wouldn't wouldn't travel. He didn't want to go back to Haiti or the Caribbean. Right. He liked it in Australia too much. Okay. So uh, sorry, maybe I misunderstood you, sorry? Oh no, sorry, it's a phone. it must be a little hard, I, I, it's okay. Um, I, I heard you, it's fine. Okay. Um, um, so, what, was, what were your first impressions of Jamaica and the music scene then? Well, when we first got there, we were naturally a little bit nervous because the band Caribs that we formed in, in uh, Surface Paradise, we specialized in a sort of a, a modern Latin type of music. Uh, right. Not some no. There was no scar in those days, of course, right? But, but we like George Shearing used to have a quintet that used to play this Latin Latin music, and we sort of modeled ourselves between George Shearing and Cal Jada's uh, quintet. Uh, that was the type of music we played. But we felt that when we we're going to the to Jamaica, that we we're going to the heart of the Caribbean mm. to play Latin music, and we were kind of a little bit nervous because we didn't know how good the guys would be when we got there. Right. But when we got there, actually. Um, in the drum area, Lowell Morris was far and away superior to any drummer they had on the island at the time. Right. Um, Peter was equal to the best they had in uh, piano players. And um, I was not up to the best they had in Jamaica because they had a guy named Ernie Rangman who, mm. who blew me away, right? Yeah. But I, um, where, I, where I got my sort of impetus from, they started using me in the studio as a studio musician. Yep. And so that's just at about the time. We'll start off with the, what they call the blue beat which then became the ska. Yep. And um, the big thing with that was I worked with the group of musicians that later became the Scatolites. Mm. And the thing was, I had a steady job at the hotel with the Caribs, so um, I couldn't play with the Scatolites on the job. I played in the recording studio with them. Yeah? Right. So they went on then to become um, world famous, so I missed out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this, this is an era that's really regarded by many people as a real golden era for Jamaican music. I mean, you you were literally there at the birth of these new styles, ska and blue oh, yeah. that, That's true. It, it, was a, it was a beginning. In fact, um, I know, I, I don't think anybody really knows who started the ska beat, but I know I was one of the first, and the way the first time I ever played it, I was doing a, a session, we do sessions all the time, and um, for, this was for Clement Dodd, Coxon, mm, right? Yep. Coxon Studios, right? And um, he and uh, uh, Johnny Moore, who was uh, with the South Scatolites, mm. they came over and they said, they were doing this number, they say, can you play the beat so it's got a, a you know, a, a edgy feel, right? I said, well, I don't know what you mean. They said, well, on the offbeat. So I played it on the offbeat and, and I said, no, nah, that's not it. And then I, I put a, a, a lot of treble on it and I played, instead of playing the downbeat with the plectrum, I played up. Right. And then this so was, ska, ska, ska. And I said, yeah, that's it, that's it. That's the sound we want, that's ska, right? And, and that was the first time I had heard the word, and that was the first time I played it. You know, but uh, that was a, right, right at the time it was all coming together, you know? Right. Well, can you tell me a little about those, um, the studio sessions? I believe it was um, Federal Studios that you first started, is that right? Yeah, Federal Studios was, was the place. That's where it all happened, right? And what happened with the... In the beginning, I had a contract to work exclusively for Federal Records as a studio musician mm. and not to work for any of the competing sound system guys. 
because I gave me a guarantee of a minimum, but of course I never lived up to the minimum. So uh -huh. after three months, I said, "Well, forget that. I just record forever I want." You know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it all happened in Ken Curry's studio, and at the time, uh, Graham Goodall was the the, the uh, engineer there. Yep. And uh, as I say, basically the the studio musicians, the most of the backing musicians were what became the Scatolites. Mm. And then the, the piano players changed a little bit from time to time. In the very beginning, where before the Federal federal Recording Studio was Chris Blackwell. Right. And that's when the Caribs did most of the work um, as a group, the Caribs. But what, how that worked, we used to work at the hotel, not the hotel, but the, the, the nightclub, and then later on the hotel, till about uh, two o'clock in the morning, or you know, one if there was not many people. Yep. And then we'd move over to the RJR Radio Jamaica Recording Studio. Well, it was, a, it was their normal on-air studio but closed down at that time of the night. Yep. And it was just a, a single-track machine, the first ones we started doing, and then they graduated to a two-track. Uh, but that's where we did all the stuff for, for Island Records, was done done there. Right. Federal Studios came a little bit later after Chris had moved on to um, England. You know? Yep. So did you, did you get much, I mean... Back in those days, I guess that was uh, the early days of sound system as well. Guys like Coxon and Duke Reid playing their sounds. Did you were you in a position where you were recording music in the studio and then you would able be able to go and hear it played out at sound systems, or were you too busy playing yeah, in the band? No, I could, I could. But the thing was, um, I was working six nights a week uh, yes. in the hotel, right? Right. So I didn't have the, the chance to get to the sound system, but I had attended a few, you know, when I had a chance. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the music we made, the way Cox and the most the Duke Reed and all those guys in the beginning, what they did, they would make the records in the studio, pick out the ones they thought were going to be good. They release them on a blank label. Yeah. And then they'd sell them for like you know, I think it was ten shillings a piece, which was a lot of money for a record in those days, right. forty-five. And they'd they'd make back their money, their recording costs and the musicians' costs off off the blank label. Right. Then if it was successful, then they'd release it as a single. That sold for I think they sold for about seven shillings a copy then, you know. Right. Okay. And then that's when they. But then Chris Blackwell, of course, was the guy who had the vision to see that there were more Jamaicans in London that had money to buy records and were in Jamaica. Right. Because the, the Jamaicans didn't have that much money as, as a you know recreational money. Yep. So he decided to set up the Island Records in London. And he took Millie Small with him, and Graham Goodall was in partnership with him too then, right? Right. And then, of course, they made My Boy Lollipop, and that was the start of the great, um, you know, West Indian music explosion, I guess, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, did you have any idea at the time that, that Jamaican music would come to be so revered around the world, and there would be collectors no. and obsessives and everything no, decades I later? had no idea, because I tell you, when I, when I first went to Jamaica, I got all wrapped up in Calypso. I was... I was Calypso was my favorite thing. Right. And the, the ska we used to play uh, at, at the hotel because that was the, the music they wanted to dance to, you know, and then yep. when reggae came in, we like, but we were much more known for ska than we were for reggae, you know? Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, but yeah, it was, um, it was just a good, right time to be there, right time and place. Yeah. Well, um, these days, I mean, I've been to Jamaica in recent times, and, um, you know, Jamaica's got a pretty scary reputation around the world as, you know, so many murders, such a violent place. But back in those yeah. days, it would have been a bit, oh, well, obviously, it would have been quite different. Oh, it was. It was very, very different back in those days. I mean, uh, we used to go after 2 o'clock and finish work at the hotel at 2 o'clock. We'd go out to these little, what they call, 
clubs, bomb bars, right? Yep. Where they just served rum and uh, a little bit of the Jamaican bread. And I remember we used to buy a can of sardines for a shilling. Right. And they would they had chop up peppers, a Scotch bonnet peppers Ooh. and onions, and mix that in with the sardines and put a bit of vinegar on it. And that, that was a bob, right? Right. Uh, and for 10 shillings, we'd drink a half a dozen beers or more, right? So for 10 bob, you had everything you needed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, so what, what what happened in the years after the Caribs broke up? And, uh, I mean, why did it sort of finish up for you guys in Jamaica? Well, it, it didn't really finish up because what happened was we, we lost the job that we had at the Myrtle Bank Hotel and we didn't have another job to go to at that time. So it ended up that the Lowell, Lowell Morris went to play in one place, uh, uh, Peter Stoddard went to play in another, and I, I joined Byron Lee's band. Right. And then I left, after a year with Byron, I... I went out on my own again with another Caros, which didn't last more than about three or four months. Okay. And then we went in, I joined Kez Chin's band, and Peter played with me for a little bit in Kez Chin's band, but not very long. And then we sort of lifted apart, and then in 62, we came back together again at the Sheraton Hotel. Okay. And that was with uh, Peter and myself, and of course by that time, Lowell Morris had come back to Australia. Right. So we still had the carers with head led by Peter and myself, uh, and with four Jamaican guys. It was a six-piece band we had. Okay. And we didn't, you know, the reason that we didn't hear more about the carers recording was because by that time the Scatellites and uh, like later on came Lynn Tate and the uh, what do you call the, 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 the Jets, the Jets, I think. Yeah, the Jets, right? The Lynn Tate, the Jets, right? He came along and they became the studio musicians, mm. and we didn't do the studio work then because. Yeah. Um, Peter was into, uh, he had the full-time job doing landscaping as well as working at night at the hotel. And there was me, and I was, I was, I was available. I got tied up making radio commercials. Okay. Uh, which became quite a sideline for me, because I was doing most of uh, the jingles you heard on the air or TV in Jamaica. Okay. I was doing them, you know, and it worked out to be a very good paying sideline. You know? Right, right. But so, and then we just, we, we just drifted apart, and... What happened was uh, we were in this very successful in the Lounge, much more successful than we ever were in the early days. In the Jonkadoo Lounge, the Caros became uh, gigantically popular in Jamaica. We were the most popular band in the country at that time. You know? Okay. But then what happened was um, I decided I wanted to, a few things happened. Jamaica brought in a work permit law, which made it very, uh, the first question on the work permit form says, you know, what steps are you taking to train a Jamaican to replace you in your current position, you know? Right. So, so when you get that, you say, why are things looking a bit dicey here, right? Yeah. So I started making inquiries about going to the States. And uh, to be honest, another second reason was the life was starting. I now had two kids and it was drinking every night and carrying on, you know, and yep. uh, I just thought, well, I probably need to, need to get out of this lifestyle, right? Yeah. So it was going to be one big step go to America, get out of the music business, which of course never happened, but <laughs> um, but that was, a, that was a basic reason. And as I say, Peter, Peter got tied up, he had his own business. Uh, he still has a business today as a landscape, uh, he's the foremost landscape gardener in Jamaica. You know? Okay. I mean, when I say land, I don't mean a, a lawnmower guy, I mean a guy doing the big hotels and whatever, you know? Right, right. So that was, and then we sort of went our separate ways then, and uh, Lowell came back to here first. Actually, Max Wildman came back first, then Lowell followed, and then Peter and I stayed. Right. And I stayed until 68, and Pete still lives down there now. Right, right. 
So, so is this uh, this reunion for the Melbourne Sky Orchestra gig? Is this the this is the first time you've been together playing together since these days? Yes, yeah, it is. It's the first time as uh, I think Lloyd Lloydy uh, Dewis said it's the first time in forty two years. You know, wow, which is amazing. Right? Yeah. Now, when I say it's the first time we've played together, I mean I've gone down to when Peter's daughters got married in Jamaica. I've gone down and we jammed a little bit, but the, yep. the band has never been together since then. Though. Right. So um, you must be excited about this, you know. It must be a lot oh, of fun for forward. you guys. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'll just put it, take it off speakerphone so you can hear me properly. Thanks very much, Dennis. It's really, really fascinating, and uh, you know, I, yeah, I reckon it's just absolutely fantastic that Australia has this history, this connection to, to Jamaica. You guys should be really proud. <laughs> Dennis Sindri speaking to me there from his home in Florida ahead of the Caribs reunion show here in Melbourne back in June 2008. Sadly, Dennis's friend and fellow Caribs member Lowell Morris passed away in May this year at the age of 90. That's it for this one. Thanks as always to the patrons of the podcast, the Don Armageddon Time, the Real General Empress Irie, me Idrin Tom Tanaki and me Chaji DJ Pablito. If you appreciate what I'm doing here with the podcast and contributing to the oral history of reggae, dancehall and Jamaican music and you want to help ensure it continues, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash jesse underscore i underscore interviews for as little as three Australian dollars per month. Thanks for listening. Eyes is every time.